Well, good morning. Just in case you don't know, my name is Drew, and man, I love worshiping with you guys. Wasn't that awesome this morning? I think the team really just did an incredible job. And we're doing that in the name of Christ. Jesus is the peace bringer, isn't he? Jesus is the overcomer, amen? You know, you think about that, and it's just amazing to me how much a song can shape us, how much it can drive us, how much it almost becomes a theme for us. And, and you can pick one word out of a song like that, that, that he will overcome and just hang on to that and, and almost live by that daily. I know music has that kind of effect on me. I don't know if it does on you, but, but as you think about songs, I wonder, have you ever tried to write a song? Show of hands. Who's ever tried to write a song? All right, so I'm not alone. <laughs> I don't know if I should have tried, but I've tried to write songs before. And in college, I was a hopeless romantic, and I got out my guitar, and I learned three or four chords, just enough to impress my future wife, who didn't know any chords. So to her, it, it looks like I just really know what I'm doing. And, you know, I wrote her all these love songs and things, and somewhere in our house, there's a tape of them that I hope she never pulls out again. But there are a few songs that, that I am kind of proud of that I've written. Each time that one of our children was born, I wrote them a song. And they're not great songs, and I won't be sharing them with any of you. But those songs were songs that I wrote as I tried to think about the possible future of each of my children. You know, what their life might be like, what dreams and hopes I had for them. The things that I, that I thought that they would need to know to make it through the joys and the trials of life. And for each of them, there was a verse that we had dedicated to them at birth that I would try to incorporate into that song. So that every time they heard it, it would remind them of God and God's path for their life. And as I was reading in 1 Kings 9, I realized that, that David had done this for Solomon. In Psalm 127, David writes a song for his child. Because David had wanted to build the temple, but God told him, you're a man of war, and so you're not going to build the temple, but your child will. And so David sits down to think about my child. You know, what is the possible future for this child, Solomon? What is it that I would want him to know? What is, it that, what is the truth that he'll need so that he can face the joys and the trials of his life, specifically as God has said that he's going to be a builder? And so you can see a picture of me sitting there and, and playing Belle's song for her. She's probably like, she's probably about three months old in that picture, but she's almost five now. And she'll come back to me and say, Daddy, play me my song. Daddy, play me my song. And what a cool moment that is. You know, and even now, as she's almost five and she loves this, I hope that this is something that sticks. And you can kind of imagine that Solomon would come to David and say, Daddy, play me my song. Daddy, play me my song. And Solomon would get out his lyre, something a little bit like a harp that you see in the picture there. And he would sing Psalm 127, labeled a song for Solomon, where it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. And you can just imagine how he pictures what Solomon is going to be called to do and how he wants him to keep God as the focus. That unless the Lord builds the house for everything Solomon may build, unless the Lord builds it, they labor in vain. Now, Solomon has been the builder for 20 years by the time we get to 1 Kings 9. He spent seven years building the house of God, 13 more building his own house. He is a builder. He needs this reminder. And so now is a time when he needs the truth that God blesses our buildings so that our buildings can be blessings. God blesses our buildings so that our buildings can be blessings. Now, when we look at 1 Kings 9, we're looking at physical structures, real buildings, brick and mortar kind of stuff. 
But as you sit here this morning, I want you to think about physical structures, but not only physical structures. That when we talk about buildings, I want you to think in terms of anything that you strive for, anything that you seek to achieve, anything that you're pouring your energy into, trying to make it bigger, trying to make it better, trying to see what it can be. Because God wants to use what we build. Those are our buildings. He wants to use what we build to bless us and to bless others. So this morning, I want us to look at God's blueprint, our buildings, and the blessing that can come from it. And so you see in 1 Kings 9, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass, when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all Solomon's desire which he wanted to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time, as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me. I have sanctified this house which you have built, to put my name there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. So it says this is the second time that God has come to Solomon. If you remember in 1 Kings chapter 3, when Solomon had first become king, he went to worship God at Gibeon, and it said God appeared to him in a dream. Basically said, tell me anything you want and I'll give it to you. And if you remember, Solomon asked for the wisdom that it would take to lead the people, to lead the nation that God had entrusted to him. That was the first moment, really, that Solomon looked at his life and realized that his leadership was stewardship. And that he, God had entrusted this to him and so that he was responsible for that. And so this is a second moment now as he's built the temple and in chapter 8, as he prayed that it would be consecrated. As he prayed that it would be a place that God would meet with his people. As he realized that people from all over the world were going to come to this place and say, Wow, look at that building. Isn't Solomon's God great? And so he's praying that God would be there, that this would be a place for God to work with the people who follow him. And in chapter 8, verse 27, you know, he makes this statement, will God dwell among men? You know, just shocked that the God of the universe would come into this little box that they've built out of gold and wood. And yet God, in these few verses, says, yes, I'll do it. I've heard your prayer. And so what we realize is that this building, this temple is blessed not because of its magnificence, not because of all the gold or all the cedar or, or all of the other things that are put into it, but it's blessed because of the presence of God. Now, the presence of God is a major theme throughout the entirety of Scripture. In fact, if you pick up the book and you start at the very beginning and you work your way all the way to the end, you see how incredibly intentional God is about being with His people. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were living there, and God said, it is good, and they were in perfect relationship with him, it says, it describes how God walked with them in the Garden. The problem is that the relationship was broken. Our peace was lost. Because of the entrance of sin into the world through Adam and Eve, the relationship that we had was torn apart. But even in that moment, God didn't say, well, then forget you guys. Right In Genesis chapter 3, as soon as the fall happens, we also see the first prediction that the Messiah would come, that a fixer would come, that there would be one from God who would put this relationship back together. And then all throughout Scripture, you see how God is with us. So even after they were cast out of the garden, and God's people spend time in slavery, they spend time wandering in the wilderness. And I love this, not the wilderness, but the fact that as they wandered, God didn't say... 
have fun wandering. Let me know when you figured it out. I'll be waiting for you in the garden. He didn't do that. He said, I'm going to wander with you. Have you ever thought about that? The days where you feel like you are wandering in a wilderness. God said, I'm going to wander with you. And so he gave them the tabernacle. Something that we focused on in, in the last few weeks when we talk about Sukkot. That God set up a place to say, even though we're in the wilderness, even though we're moving from place to place, I give you the tabernacle. This is a place that I will meet with my people. This is a place that I will be present. And so they could pack it up and, and move along and set it up again and pack it up and set it up again. But now, in the time of Solomon, they come into the promised land. God has finally given them the space that belongs to them, the place that he had promised them. And now they have a building, something permanent. No longer they have to set up and tear down and set up and tear down. But they know that this is the house of God. This is the place that God has chosen to deal with his people. And so it's an incredible blessing to experience the presence of God in that place. And so it's, it's, it's amazing to think about if the Garden of Eden doesn't have the presence of God, it's just another vegetable patch. If the tabernacle doesn't have the presence of God, it's just another tent. If the temple doesn't have the presence of God, it's just another building. And so it's no surprise in verse 4 then, when God gives us the blueprint for how we can see our buildings become blessings, it is directly tied to being in his presence. It says, now if you walk before me, as your father David walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded you. And if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever. As I promised David, your father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. You see there that if we walk before him. Now that's a kind of covenantal language. And, and right in that term means that we must be in the presence of God. To walk before him. Right? Not to just send him updates from somewhere out in the field. Right? Certainly not to be wandering away from him, but to return to God's presence, to walk before him, to carry the things that we strive for, that we achieve, that we long for, that we dream about, and to lay them before God, to be in his presence, before his face. God says if you do that, if you're obedient to me, if you walk before me, he uses this phrase, then I will establish. Right? That's God saying, then I will build you, for all the things that you are seeking to build, if you lay them before me, then I will build you. I will establish you. And so God is painting this beautiful picture of what it looks like when he is the blueprint. And through his blueprint, that he can bless our buildings. So what does that look like? Well, I think one of the best examples that I've seen of this comes from Dan Cathy, the CEO of Chick-fil-A. And maybe you've heard of Dan Cathy. He's, he's uh, pretty famous. You may have also heard of his father, Truett, who actually started this company. And it's one of the fastest growing fast food companies uh, in the world. And, and Truett started this company from one little restaurant. And when you look at Dan Cathy, he's a man who is a follower of Christ, and he's trying to run his business from a biblical perspective. And if you ask him, what, what are you really trying to do? What is Chick-fil-A all about? This is how he describes their mission. He says, we're here to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that's entrusted to us and to have a positive influence on all that come in contact with Chick-fil-A. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? Think about it. If you break that down, basically what Dan Cathy just said is, I want to glorify God by selling you a chicken sandwich. 
right? Like maybe, maybe we missed a couple steps in there. But that's his foundation. You know, it's very different than if you look at, at like the mission statement of something like McDonald's, where it really focuses on, like, we want to be the main place our customers think of for food. You know, that, that makes sense. But Dan Cathy says we want to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that's entrusted to us to have a positive influence on all that come in contact with our chicken sandwiches. It's really a totally different perspective. And so some of the things you've probably heard about him is, is that he takes this, this phrase faithful steward very seriously. You know, that was something that Solomon understood as well. What it meant to be a faithful steward of anything that God had given him. Whether it was that one restaurant or whether it's 100,000 restaurants or whether it goes back to one restaurant someday. And so he does things to be, uh, to be blessings to the families that they serve. To be blessings to the customers that they serve. To be blessings to their employees who help build up that company. And to be blessings to the world. And so they, they lead from a biblical perspective. They've given millions and millions of dollars in scholarships to their employees, trying to build them up. They also are, are one of the leaders in disaster relief in the world, in terms of not only giving financially, but also sending teams. But you know, that's not the only thing that Dan Cathy does. He doesn't just sit in an office somewhere writing checks, but he also will go each time that there's a new Chick-fil-A opening, he shows up at Chick-fil-A to go to the camp out with all the people who are camping out the night before. Because if you're one of the first hundred in line, did you know this? If you're one of the first hundred in line at a brand new Chick-fil-A, you get like free chicken for a year. All right, so people show up for that, right? And so Dan Cathy will show up too. And, and it's a camp out, right? So he shows up in his pajamas or wearing a chicken suit or something like this just to hang out with everybody and, and talk to him. And while he's there, he'll share a gospel message. And so everything that he's doing, he's looking at how can I use what God has given me to be a blessing to God that blesses other people. He's trying to follow God's blueprint. And so think about where you are. Think about the things that you strive for, the things that you build. You know, how do you follow God's blueprint? You know, maybe you follow God's blueprint with your family. When you set a godly example for your children, you know, even as David was trying to do for Solomon, as Solomon did for his own leaders, as we saw in chapter 4. You know, maybe you follow God's blueprint for your home. Literally, your house, a building, a structure. When you see it, not only as a place for comfort and recreation for yourself, but you see it as a place for hospitality. To offer comfort. To offer recreation to other people. You know, maybe you follow God's blueprint for your business. When you begin to see not only the bottom line, but as Dan Cathy did, a God-given chance to use what he has given you to honor him, to glorify him. When you make a product or provide a service that can raise the quality of life of the people that you serve. You know, to feed into your employees, to, to build them up. Maybe you follow God's blueprint for your legacy. When you do all of these things, not for your own glory, but for the glory of God. So that others who see you would see the character of God through you and might be able to seek him even as you have. When we follow God's blueprint, then our buildings become blessings. But there's a warning that goes along with this. Even as Solomon hears these words that if you walk before me, I will establish you. You see in verses 6 through 9 that there's a flip side. What happens if we, if we don't walk before God? 
If we spend all our time building, but we don't submit these things to him. And so this is the warning that, that God gives Solomon. He says, but if your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them. And this house, which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will be exalted, yet everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will answer, because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and have embraced other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. Now, as we look forward in the life of Solomon, we realize that, that in this moment, God is giving him almost a, a personally custom-tailored warning. Because this is exactly what would happen to Solomon. As he brought more and more wives and concubines into his life, they brought more and more foreign gods into his life, and his commitment to be God faltered as he began to worship other false gods. And so I don't want you to brush this off because it's, it's easy in a moment of success, in a moment when everything looks great, when the things that we're trying to make work are working, and they are for Solomon, to hear God tell us something like this and say, of course, God, I've seen that happen. Of course I'll stick with you. Sticking with you has worked so far, I'll never leave. Why would I ever do that? So it's important to reflect and to remember the weakness that is in our own hearts, to remember that we must continually walk before God because there's always a pitfall just around the corner. And so God wants us to be aware of this, that, that even as we look at the things in our life and, and what may appear to be successful, we can't measure it by the world's standards. Right? Solomon is not considered blessed just because things are going well financially, going well for the nation, going well because his buildings are big or decked out with gold. The blessing comes only if those things are a part of God's blueprint for him. And in verse 10, you'll see that, that as he continues to look over his kingdom... Solomon, it, it appears, has maybe a couple different sets of blueprints in front of him. He's got, he's got God's blueprints laid out over here, but he's also got Solomon's blueprint laid out over here. And he's trying to kind of work from both of them. And so he looks over his kingdom, that which God has entrusted to him, that for which he is meant to be a faithful steward, but he sees a part of it that doesn't necessarily fit into his plans. And so this is what it tells us. It says, now it happened at the end of 20 years, when Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house, Hiram, the king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress and gold as much as he desired, that King Solomon then gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. So here's what's going on here. Solomon finishes these building projects, and Hiram had a huge part in that. Gave him all these gold, all these trees, built these buildings. And so Solomon's kind of, he wants to thank his, his project partner, his building buddy. He, want, he wants to give him a gift. He thinks it ought to be a little bit bigger than a fruit basket. So he looks out over his kingdom. He sees these 20 cities in Galilee. And, and he says, you know, those don't really fit into my plans, but maybe Hiram could use them. I mean, I know that God entrusted those to me and they're part of the nation, but, but they're kind of run down. They're kind of beat up you know, they're kind of broken down. They need some repair. Maybe Hiram can do something with them and then, and then I won't have to worry about it anymore. Only one problem with that. If you look at verse 12, it says that Hiram went from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him, but they did not please him. Now stop there for a minute. Think about, think about your city. 
Think about Cincinnati. Now, I, I stayed in Kentucky with a buddy last night, and so as I'm, as I'm driving back here this morning, and I'm coming from 71 over to 50 East, and I'm listening to the Jurassic Park theme song. I don't know, that, that gets me going in the morning. And, and if you want to talk about how a song can affect you, all right, when all the fanfare builds up, and just as I'm kind of coming around the corner and, 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 and it hits the biggest moment in the song and I see the skyline of Cincinnati appear over the hill and in that moment, Cincinnati is the most beautiful city that I have ever seen in my entire life. And I think, wow, what could God do with a city like this? Hiram was not listening to the theme from Jurassic Park when he went out to look at these cities. Hiram shows up, he says, wow, wow, 20 cities, Solomon gave me 20 cities, what could I do with that, let's check them out. Oh man, oh man, what is this? He says in, in verse 13, what kind of cities are these which you have given me, my brother? And he called them the land of Kabul, as they are to this day. Then Hiram sent the king 120 talents of gold. So if he's still sending gold, and that's a lot of gold, the relationship is okay. You realize it's not so much that Solomon was trying to pull a fast one on him, but just that Solomon was hoping that, that these things might be good for you where they're not good for me. You know, you've heard the phrase, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Well, in this case, 20 cities in Galilee were, were tr trash for both guys. And so Hiram is looking at these things, and he calls them Kabul. That's a word that means worthless. Good for nothing. And so Hiram gives them back. Now, come on, if you live in these 20 cities in Galilee, how does that feel? Solomon gave us away? Well, well, maybe Hiram will actually fix us. Maybe this will be good. Hiram gave us back? <laughs> right, jilted by both sides. Nobody wants a piece of 20 cities in Galilee. But I want you to keep that in the back of your mind because now Solomon goes on to continue with his blueprints and in verses 15 to 28, we see him enter into an unparalleled time of productivity. He's building buildings all over the place. And so we already know that he's built the house of the Lord. He spent seven years doing it. He built his own house for another 13 years. Then there's a place called the Milo that he built. That's a word that actually means landfill. Because there was a big, deep crater, basically, in Jerusalem that he filled in the land with rock so that they could build on top of it. Uh, scholars believe that part of it supported the palace and part of it supported an open forum for the community. And so he builds the Milo. Then he builds the wall of Jerusalem, bigger and stronger and better. And he continues. He builds Hazor, Megiddo, Gezer, Beth Horon, Baleth, and Tadmor. Now, how many of those are household names? But they were important to Solomon. Because they were either at borders or they were along major roads, all right, major trade routes. And he says, forget 20 cities in Galilee. Let's build up these cities. These are the important ones. And so he puts energy there. And he says, not only that, as long as we're at it, let's build some more cities. And so he built cities for his storage, cities for his chariots, cities for his cavalry. He says he built a house for one of his wives, Pharaoh's daughter. And even though Israel was not ever known as a great naval power, we're on a roll here, so why not build a fleet of ships, too? Let's do it. Verse 19, when it talks about what Solomon was able to build, it says that whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and in all the land of his dominion, he built it. He did it. Whatever he wanted, he did. He built. Unparalleled productivity. Unparalleled expansion. Increasing the bottom line, strengthening his nation. So all outside onlookers, it looks like this is 
the blessing. And yet, Solomon is also the author of Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, Solomon refers to himself as the preacher, and this is what he writes. He says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? For everything that Solomon was accomplishing, for everything that he was achieving, for everything that he was building up, yet he found himself in a place where he gets to the top of the mountain and says, Is that it? Is this all there is? Is there nothing else here? You know, Solomon is an achiever, and to do these things, he'd been using slave labor and heavy taxation and and just going, 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 and every time he saw an open spot of land, it's time to build again. But he sort of forgot that song that Daddy played for him. Because Psalm 127 spoke this clearly, that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. And Solomon now is, is trying to come to terms with this truth. And you know, maybe you've experienced that. You know, there are a lot of things that we pour a lot of energy into in our lives, and, and, and maybe you know what that's like. If you've ever taken the, the Strengths Finder, a test that helps you determine what your strengths are, are in leadership, uh, when I took that, it said that I'm an achiever, and, and I can agree with that. And, and the way that works is that as you complete projects, rather than being tired from all the work and wanting to sit back and enjoy it, it gives you energy to do more projects. And so I think that, that Solomon resonates with that. And maybe some of you do too, but, but the, the downfall of that, as productive as that can make you be, a lot of times that means that I keep myself just busy enough not to stop and reflect on what God is really trying to do. You know, maybe you've been there. Keeping yourself just busy enough, so focused on what is the next level, what is the next goal, what is the next dream, that you don't stop to reflect on who's really building those buildings. Now, Tom Brady is the quarterback for the New England Patriots, and he's somebody who has accomplished all of his dreams, all of his goals, everything that you could set out to do as a football player. And as a Bills fan, having him in our division, I'm extremely jealous of Tom Brady. You know, it's like he has all the things that I wish my team had, and so I was shocked to hear that he finds himself in a very similar place as Solomon. And I want you to hear it in his own words, so watch this with me. I used to get $600 dorm checks and, and go eat Subway and use pizza cards to get my way through college, and eat baked potatoes and make pancakes every night. So I don't think that's ever been a big thing for me. I mean, I'm making more money now than I ever thought I could ever make playing football. He's turned down multi-million dollar endorsement deals because he didn't think they were right for him. And many of the ones he's taken, he shared with his teammates. Uh, you guys have to go everywhere with me. <laughs> but with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean... Maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. 
sobering, isn't it? You know, I think about when I watch football, how much energy I spend on, on disliking Tom Brady, you know, but then you see something like that, and it makes my heart sink. And you know, what, what's crazy to me in his words, he said, God, there's got to be something more than this. He used the name of God, and, and, and what's the next thing? The guy says, what's the answer? I'm thinking, you, you just said it. It's God. You know, you may be out there this morning, and maybe you've never even considered this before. You know, maybe you've been striving and looking for purpose in your life, and you don't know where it comes from, and you're saying, God, there's got to be more than this. God is more than this. God is the answer. And Solomon was a man who knew that. That's how he started his kingship. Saying, God, you are the only thing that's going to matter. I don't want the buildings. I don't want the wealth. I don't want the power. I don't want the death of my enemies. I want the wisdom to be a faithful steward of what you've entrusted to me. But he lost sight of it. So what do we do when we lose sight of it? How do we get back to a place where we're walking before God, where we're in his presence? Well, look at 1 Kings 9.25. In the midst of this passage, you see something that Solomon does, something that he set up as a regular routine in his life. To make sure that no matter what else happened, there was always a time where he came back to the presence of God. It says, now three times a year, Solomon offered burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar which he had built for the Lord. And he burned incense with them on the altar that was before the Lord, so he finished the temple. This is what it takes to have a regular rhythm in our life that for whatever else may distract us, whatever else may may drive us, that we have a time that we come back to the presence of God, that we lay our blueprints before him and say, God, I don't want to do anything that isn't being blessed by you. If this isn't what I should be doing, show me what I should be doing. You know, that's what we call a Sabbath. You know, that's part of why we, we meet together like this once a week, so that for whatever else has happened to you this week, whatever else has gone on in your heart and your mind, whatever, whatever bad patterns you've fallen into or whatever things you've been able to rejoice, this is a time where we remember, if nothing else, to come before God and to see how his presence reshapes everything. And I, want you to sh- I want you to see what happens when this happens for Solomon. Second Chronicles 8, verse 2 is a parallel passage to 1 Kings 9. And look at what it says here. The cities, all right, those 20 cities in Galilee, which Hiram had given to Solomon, Solomon built them, and he settled the children of Israel there. So from a moment where he was trying to unload them so they wouldn't be his problem, now he realizes, you know what, this is part of what God has entrusted to me. I do need to be faithful with this. And so it says he built them back up. He rebuilt them and he put God's people there. He was investing faithfully in the here and now. And what's fascinating about this to me is that from Solomon's moment in time, he had no idea what these cities could become. But we have the benefit of standing on the other side of Jesus. Because when you look at the New Testament, do you realize these 20 cities in Galilee are the place that Jesus did most of his earthly ministry? The 20 cities that Solomon tried to unload because they didn't fit into his plan. If Hiram wasn't going to build them, well, Solomon wasn't going to build them. And yet, because Solomon was a faithful steward, these 20 cities survived. And Jesus spent two years making circuits around these cities bringing the good news of Jesus Christ. And that was the ultimate example of God's presence with his people. 
that God came, as Solomon expressed in chapter 8, to dwell with men, to be here, to be the fixer, to make the sacrifice, to put our relationship back together, to lead us back into the presence of God so that he could bless our buildings. And so I want you to think about this this morning, because our blueprints have spatial dimensions, they have financial dimensions, but God's blueprints have eternal dimensions. So what are you building that can be a blessing? What are you building that can be a blessing? And whatever it is that you strive for, I want you to think of that right now. What it is right now, this afternoon or tomorrow morning, that you're going to be pouring your energy into to make successful Pull that into mind now, and what can you do to make that a blessing? How can God take that? Are you willing to go before Him and lay out your blueprint and say, God, I want this to be yours. I want you to bless this. And are you ready, if He rolls up your blueprint, pulls out His own, and says, I want you to build this. This is what it could be. What are you building that can be a blessing and how? Don't leave this morning without thinking of one way, maybe one change that it would take to see your buildings be a blessing for other people to the glory of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are humbled by you. We are blessed by you to know that that we can come into your presence, Lord, and that your presence goes with us through the Holy Spirit. And so I ask this morning that each of us would be able to focus on you, that we would have that time where we come back, Lord, that we, we offer everything up to you and we build only what you want us to build. God, that we might see you bless it, that we might follow the example that's given to us in Scripture and see the ways that Jesus Christ can speak through the things that we achieve in your name. God, we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to thank you for being here this morning. Uh, I want to just remind you that the Family Fun Delirium is coming up this Friday. Uh, complimentary tickets are available at the East Station check-in desk. And if you'd like to volunteer to help out, uh, you can sign up at the registration desk uh, by the fireplace. Uh, with that, I just want to bless you. I give you a, uh, pray that you have a good morning. And if you'd like to know more about Horizon, you can stop by the hearth room, which is the third door on the left. Thank you for coming. <laughs>